Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome back to the Tech Ed Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kirkner, and you are joining us for the second of a two-part series with the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's Chancellor, Dr. Mark Money and that same institution's provost, Dr. Johannes Britz. Chancellor Moni, I want to change our course a little bit and talk a bit about the whole topic of research. Now, UWM has, and you mentioned it earlier, an R1-level designation as a research university. For our audience, uh, part of the definition of this category is doctoral universities with very high research activity. And it's a very select distinction. Only a few number of universities in the nation achieve this ranking. So what does it take for UWM to have that distinction? And tell us about the importance of research to the university. Thanks, Matt. I think it's a critically important differentiator, as we mentioned earlier, for the region to have this. The community came forward in the 1950s and 60s and really demanded. There were protests for us to have equivalent to what Madison has because of the importance in Milwaukee for us to have a research university. I don't know if that's very well known to our listeners, but this was critical for us to have that type of identity. And if you fast forward to today, why is research so important? Why is basic and applied research so important? I'll give you one quick example. We've been receiving with the Medical College of Wisconsin and other partner universities, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette, participate in this Clinical Translation Science Institute, Well, we've got $20 million grants that we've been receiving from the federal government about every five years, and the medical college is the lead, but they share that funding, and we've got so many faculty involved in taking ideas out of the laboratory, putting them into practice. That led to, when we had COVID come along, we had over 220 researchers across five institutions in this region that resulted in almost three dozen proposals for research that's advancing and everything from surface coatings in our engineering school, spray-on engineering, you know, I mean, antibacterial kind of stuff to the work that Sandra McClellan and our School of Freshwater Science is doing around wastewater, studying the types of things, looking at the kind of work that she did originally on E. coli that brought Bradford Beach back. And that's science. That's applied science. Bradford Beach, one of the top 10 beaches because of our professor who determined that it wasn't it wasn't just the stormwater runoff. It was a lot of the seagulls and it was a lot of the other existing things. And then with a the pooch patrol, bringing Bradford Beach back to life. Pretty amazing stuff. But I can give you dozens of examples every day of the importance of science and research in making a difference in our lives. The Zilber School of Public Health that studies you know, epidemiological rates of different illnesses and so forth. So really what it means to this region is the ability to have top caliber research that brings to the fore when we talk about issues in data science, or when we talk about issues in internet of things, or when we talk about advancing the new knowledge, that's when you're able to talk seriously about competitive smart manufacturing, for example. Wisconsin as the most important manufacturing state in the country, some would argue it's number two, where, you know, really so critically important. You want to have companies that have the capabilities to see around corners and to develop new technologies. We're not just competing with Illinois or California or Pennsylvania today. It's a global marketplace. And for us to maintain that, this is why I'm so excited about Congressman Gallagher 
and Representative Ro Khanna from California, a bipartisan effort around, you know, the next Endless Frontiers Act to get money for scientific endeavors pumped up to get our R&D going. Uh, if we're going to be serious about being competitive business-wise globally, that to me is, is re reliant upon research universities. If you look at strong, thriving economies, Silicon Valley is an example, or you go to Boston, you go to the, to the Route 128 area, or go international, and you look at some of the, the Sweden experiments or what's going on in Germany and other centers of whether it's industrial manufacturing or strong economies, guess what's at the heart of them? It's research universities. That's the heart of every single strong, thriving area. And that's that's a powerhouse because it's it's that R&D, it's that innovation. So there's a lot of high points, but that's what I think is not only important in terms of the quality of the faculty and staff and then the education is provided, but really what we can and have been doing for this region. It's just a great observation. And we think about, you mentioned Boston. We've actually been engaged with a number of companies in, in that region and seeing the innovation there. Uh, places like Austin, Texas, Research Triangle, and in so many ways now, Milwaukee. And I love your discussion around applied research. Uh, I'm a regular visitor to Bradford Beach. I'll add a former Milwaukee County lifeguard and a proud one at that. Um, so certainly that, uh, that example rang true to me, but also the discussion around data science and IoT and some of these emerging technologies. And, and in so many ways, we don't even realize how our great research institutions are creating that applied science, creating those applications for the research that change our lives. And again, in ways that we don't even realize necessarily where that technology came from. You gave some great examples of current projects that you're working on or projects that the university has been engaged with in the past. I guess another question, Chancellor, would be as you look to the future, what are some of those emerging technologies that your research at the university will focus on in the coming years? And Johannes has a much greater breadth as the provost. He's responsible for all the work that's happening across all our 12 schools and colleges and is amazingly capable of knowing a lot of the different issues that are happening within those. But I'll give you the top of the waves. First, you know, I think connectivity is the future. It's the present, but it's even going to have a bigger role in the future. And what I mean by that is the Internet of Things. And you've got so many levels of application of that. You've got it in the manufacturing smart factory sense in terms of the types of things that you're so involved with, Matt, and you're just one of the exemplars. You've helped so many companies. You're working with education. You're working with uh, the manufacturing base. You're working with a lot of suppliers. You really cover it all, and you see the integrative nature of that. But, you know, when I first talked with the former CEO of Rockwell, Keith Nosbush, he said, that's probably one of the biggest biz business issues facing them. He said, can you help us with that? Because the talent that comes out of universities, and we hire from UWM more than anybody else, he said the talent comes out in supply chain management or in accounting or in HR and doesn't really understand how all the pieces fit together. And we're trying to get everybody to understand that in our workforce, because that's what automation and smart manufacturing is. It's the great enabler. And our customer base really needs that. So with Microsoft and with Rockwell, but especially Rockwell is such a key partner, we really built the starting of this Connected Systems Institute. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that from a technology and connectivity is critical. There's also the application of connectivity in terms of the usability of products and services. So when we talk about whether it's a smarter lock or whether it's a smarter home or whether it's a smarter office or buildings, you know, you get into that kind of side of things. There's that whole consumer side and the use of that. So you're seeing television ads now, commercials for cars that you can not only, you know, on your iPhone, you can start them, you can have security features, you can do everything from your house 
for your car. That's omnipresent and it's going to become so much even more. So I think that's a huge technology for us to continue to develop, expand and, and engage. Number two is around data sciences. And I won't go through the dozen different categories of data science, everything from analytics, cybersecurity, the huge issues today that we're seeing is one of the greatest business challenges around cybersecurity. But, you know, trying to keep up with that alone, uh, the use of this. And, and just as a quick example of the importance of this, you know, one of our alumni, Michael Finlan, is the vice president of people for PricewaterhouseCoopers, 260,000 employees globally. And Mike sat down and showed us when we visited with him in New York, right before the pandemic started, we were sitting down with him and he showed us a handheld digital fitness app. And he basically said, "Across, we're rolling this out across our company worldwide, not just for the auditors, not just for accountants, but employee base wide. And we can tell you in about seven or eight minutes, what your skill sets are around um, forecasting, what your skill sets are. And he said, we need all our employees to be more digitally fit. And then how they're developing programs with educational partners. And if educational partners don't play, they're doing it themselves. And so they're figuring this out with third-party providers. And so we think data sciences and data fitness, every one of our students should have competencies in those areas, just like entrepreneurial skills. We want all our students to have that. Third, you know, the traditional stuff that's changing every day, computer science, software, the engineering, the types of issues that we're dealing with, the, the applications of blockchain technologies and so many different pieces. We have this star alumni from our computer science program, Sachin Adela at Microsoft. You might have heard of this uh, little company out on the West Coast. He is one of the, the proud graduates of our computer science program, but keeping that program up to date, dynamic and, and advancing, uh, that's critical, not just to UWM, but really for the world in terms of the types of skill sets. And the final one is a platform to deliver for our skills as our world is changing. It's not just the skills that we teach, but it's how we share those. So Tech Ed Frontiers is a new platform for us to deliver stackable credentials, certificates, and pieces that build to degrees that aren't necessarily aiming at that, but to give skills where they're needed and when they're needed in a shorter time frame. So the Tech Ed Frontiers is a technology platform. We've got a number of different tracks from data analytics, cybersecurity, and other things uh, that are being developed and rolled out today. So those are just some of the technologies that we think are really important for our future. My worry is actually on the ethical implications on the applications of this technology. We all become unbundled. We don't know who knows what about us. And we all become dependent and hacking and stealing. I mean, that pretty much defines for me the future of technology is our dependence and that we don't know who knows what. So this is just a side comment because I got excited when Mark took, I said, there's a new research project. This is really dynamic. One of my fascinations has been exactly that topic, and it got started actually through a connection to UWM. So perhaps a year and a half, maybe more ago, I had the opportunity to meet Brad Smith, and Mark mentioned Sachin Nadella, um, certainly Brad Smith, the president of, of Microsoft. Um, also met some other really, really interesting people from the Sloan School at MIT during an event that Mark invited me to at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. The Sloan School has a whole article where they interviewed 1,500 different industrial companies, people innovating in the world of AI, talking about the three career opportunities in the future for people working in the world of artificial intelligence. One of those three main categories, they call it sustainers, which are people who do exactly what you're talking about, is making sure that our applications of artificial intelligence, computer science, data science are manifesting themselves in ways that are ethical. So I really appreciate the fact that you bring that up. We certainly at the Tech Ed Podcast share that concern. 
and a passion around as we continue to innovate, making sure that we're doing it in ways that are sustainable and that keep track of and take account of the human element and how that is affected as we move forward. And I know that final topic, the Tech Ed Frontiers, will be music to the ears of the listeners of the Tech Ed podcast, obviously, with technical education and innovation in the world of education being so very important to them. So amazing how close all of these lines converge. Certainly data science and computer science, as you mentioned, Chancellor, also really, really important technologies and, and just great things for the university to be focusing on. You, know, you began your answer by saying you were just going to hit the top of the waves. And to play on that analogy, UWM is certainly making waves. Uh, and I have a question for the provost, you know, your institution recently received a $10 million donation. That's the largest gift ever received by the university for a new Great Lakes research vessel called the Maggie Sue. I would really be interested, Johannes, in learning about this project, the research that the Maggie Sue will enable the university to accomplish. And are there other ways in addition to research that this investment will benefit the university? You know, the vessel we have currently, the Niska, is actually longer on campus than Mark. The Niska is currently actually the, also the only academic vessel that operates right through the winter on Lake Michigan, which I didn't realize. And apparently it was a military vessel that was used in the Korean War. So it has come a long way, and but it's still operating. So it just tells you we need something new. And it is such an important, you know, our school and the freshwater initiatives that we do, and we are on freshwater and the value, it tells you just how important is it that we upgrade the vessel in terms of research on the lake. So as you mentioned, we got that 10 million. I think it equals the largest donation we got at UWM, which is significant for the vessel. And that's, as I think, the anonymous donor. That's where the name come from also, the Megisu. And the vessel will be built here in Wisconsin. And, you know, as you know, we are very well known, actually, for building uh, vessels on the lake, you know, even for military purposes and commercial purposes. And if it's done, it will able to host hotel hosting, 18 scientists and crew, which is significant, right? That can stay there on the vessel as they go out. So that's hotel spacing. But also, you know, as I read it, I said, man, I want to see it. I want to actually go on this, this vessel now because it, We'll have classroom for 24 students. So can you imagine kind of, this is not a virtual classroom. This is a real classroom on the lake. You don't sit in a physical space on land. You are right on this beautiful lake. And if you don't have this as a classroom or you don't have hotel spacing, it will be able to accommodate 50 people that you can take out. You know, can you imagine if we have a board of regents meeting and we invite people and even you and Melissa and others and say, join, we can take up to 50 people on this brand new vessel. So, you know, just if you just can imagine how it would look like. And I remember I've seen some of the, the drawings, you know, it will be an impressive add on, not just to UWM, to the state, because it will be the state of the art in the sense of fresh water. We sit on this huge, huge lake right with us. Now, you know, when I talked to Val a little bit about the different research opportunities, it was just very clear. Oceanographic research will be the main focus, and there will be dry labs and wet labs on this uh, vessel. And there will also be a dive platform, where people, you know, that we don't have currently, that will allow our researchers, you know, to actually uh, go into the lake from this platform and also remotely operated vehicles. And it, I guess it's also linked to a little bit robots, robotics, where you can really go. So it will have a device that will allow to deploy these kind of vehicles, which will be critical for the research that they will do 
in terms of the fish life, you know, the health overall of the lake. And then they can also do bottom mapping that we currently don't have, as well as sampling capabilities, um, you know, which is so important to understand also the levels, the overall health, the fish, et cetera, et cetera, of the lakes. And then, you know, what Bell told me also what they envisioned to do is to have educational training programs, because we are now um, with this floating classroom, we take the lead in the system for what we call the freshwater collaborate, where we have engaged every single campus in the Wisconsin system on a huge visionary collaborate to create and to train scientists to solve the problems of water and the Great Lakes for the future. And it is now going to the legislature. You know, they did approve money, but then, of course, in the, you know, with COVID, everything got to a standstill. But this will really be the leading vessel to do research through this collaborate. It doesn't just benefit, of course, UWM, as I mentioned. You know, just having this vessel here puts us on a leading edge with the only freshwater science uh, school of freshwater sciences graduate level at this point. You know, it will assist people in, as first responders should there be an emergency. Oil spill contamination, I ask well, yes, they will be able to help there. Water supply security, if you think of that, that's where they can help. And then, of course, tracking. If there's a ship that go down or an aeroplane, and I read in one of the books on the Great Lakes, apparently in the 50s, an aeroplane down, they still up to today couldn't find it. Because the lake is like a thousand foot right in the middle. So the vessel has also the add-on to society, to industry, to the state. So I think it will be one of the best investments. How very, very exciting for the university and for the state of Wisconsin, for the entire Lake Michigan region. And that's just a, a fantastic investment that the university is making in the future sustainability of our lake and the education around it. So the Connected Systems Institute, certainly a great benefit, not just to UWM, but to this whole idea of the advancing smart technologies like the industrial internet of things, smart sensors, smart devices, and so on. It's really a huge, huge initiative for the entire region. Some might say for the entire country, and it's certainly unique among other institutions across the country. Chancellor, I have a question for you. The Connected Systems Institute was the result of a collaboration of several private sector partners along with the university. What can you tell us about these partners and the role that they played in developing and launching the CSI? You know, I think it really is powerful to recognize the private side of things. In a moment, I'm going to talk also about the public side because it's cool how the state of Wisconsin stepped up. You know, it really began with these conversations with the former CEO of Rockwell, Keith Nosbush. And then what's neat is that when Blake Moret became CEO and president, he said, wherever, wherever Keith was at, I want to push the pedal even further through the floor on this. My commitment to this is so intense and, and high. So that was my first meeting with Blake. And boy, did he uh, really impress me with his enthusiasm for this. So Rockwell is really where it began. And they have been the principal private partner in terms of the financial support. But at the same time, I was having conversations with uh, Sachin Adela out in Seattle and how they view from the West Coast, Milwaukee, and frankly, Wisconsin, is this manufacturing hub. And you've got these leading organizations here that he said, this is really important because of the suite of products that we have in terms of the cloud applications and just the connectivity that's so critically important. So it was really two separate conversations that we were able to bring together with Lake and Satya, who, by the way, are good friends and, and get together virtually quite a bit, but even physically before would uh, visit with each other. So those are the two principal partners. And they've been very instrumental. And you mentioned earlier, Brad Smith, you know, in terms of their gift to really help support 
the work at over a million dollars and Rockwell uh, well beyond that. Other companies that have come forward and stepped up include We Energies, Cisco, Dell, Eaton, and then there's a number of other participating firms. They include your firm, Matt, Lab Midwest, which is a vital, vitally important partner, as I mentioned earlier, because you cover both the stall base, if you will, the actual you know, use of, but you're also close with suppliers and educational providers, and you really are a boundary spanner in a highly important way. So we see you as what I consider to be glue and critically credible in that way. But Heartland Business Systems, FANUC, and you helped us introduce the FANUC relationship, great robotics company out of Michigan, and then work with, with WMEP, Wisconsin Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and uh, others. So these are some of the critical private partners supplemented with the state of Wisconsin through the WEDC, Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, giving us over a million dollars for both some of the brick and mortar, some of the, the, the actual test beds and, and the work, as well as some of the programming that we're doing in those test beds and with some of the training that we're rolling out. So those are some of the players and really speaking to the important needs of this region because of the recognition of Internet of Things, connectivity and its centrality to our future. So some absolutely great partners, obviously a true collaboration, which I know is the spirit in which you love to do things, uh, just doing amazing things in this whole area of connected, smart manufacturing. And I really want on behalf of the Tech Ed podcast and our listeners to recognize your leadership and the leadership of the university in this most important endeavor, not just for research, which is really, really important, but for creating really unique experiences for your students today and in the future. As we leave our discussion today, Chancellor Mark Mone of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I'd be interested in your insights. How would you say the experience of a university student will differ five years from now from what it is today? Well, my crystal ball on this one, Matt, you know, maybe hazy and a little fuzzy. You know, I do pride myself on as much as I've been in education a long time. I'm also trying to keep our campus dynamic, looking forward with the great collaboration with our provost, Johannes Britz, and an amazing team of dean and faculty. I'd really summarize it around five different areas if, if you had to look out in five years. Number one, I think there's going to continue to be more on and off ramps, particularly for students in urban areas. The concept of a four-year degree, and not that we necessarily all had that back in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, but I'm telling you today, there's more interruptions. Life happens. And that's true. And look at the pandemic as just one major example, how many students took gap years or how many students are, are choosing different things. But the reality, especially for urban students, on and off ramps, employment issues, family issues, life issues, those types of things. Number two, I think there's going to be much more flexibility in terms of educational options. And what I mean by that is more certificates, more things that are not requiring you to have a degree. Degrees are increasingly too expensive, the debt load, but more importantly, employers are saying, we see alternatives to that. Somebody does not have to get a full master's degree or four-year degree. They can be retooled when and where. And that's where this tech ed frontiers concept, education that's portable, education that's deliverable in shorter pieces. That to me is a big part of the future. So that's the second one. Third, kind of concomitant with that, but it's different, less brick and mortar. I think we're going to see fewer students that are going to make that commitment to have to move because of technology. We're seeing today where you can learn from anywhere. Look at where we are all at, you know, and, and how much time that saves. As much as we're Zoomed out or as much as we don't like that, look at the whether you read Wall Street Journal or New York Times or read anything. And every day you're seeing this is here to stay. And so I think that's true in education environments as well. And of course, the cool thing at the same time that I think is powerful we're really leaning hard into the fourth theme, which is the experiential learning. 
hands-on applied work. When we talk about test beds in the Connected Systems Institute, that's not learning it out of the textbook. That's actually seeing how you can replicate a lab. You can replicate a manufacturing facility, a brewery. You can put those online and put a, a digital twin right there and, and, and talk about you know what's happening, manipulate some of the inputs, and all of a sudden, wow, you see the difference in productivity or you, you get rid of the waste a little bit more effectively by doing this. So that, to me, that experiential hands-on type of work is a big part. And the final one is the good news and the challenging part of this with the world that we're in today is I think you're going to see campuses with much greater student centricity. That one might have surprised you. You might not have thought about this coming. But the escalating competition is going to force, in a good way, campuses such as, such as those that might be big and bureaucratic and not so friendly to really gear down. We, if we're serious about being able to retain students, especially students of color, we have to become much more capable of meeting students where they are. Historically, a lot of campuses have been, and we all had experience like this, you know, going to campus and boy, if you didn't meet the bursars, you know, if you didn't meet their hours, and if you didn't meet, you have your check in the right form. I mean, it's just all these rules. Well, today, you know, if students come in, they might have what historically have been called kind of a deficit in an area. They don't meet the math requirement, or they might not have this. We have to meet that student where they are. We have to look at an asset-based model and we have to do everything we possibly can. It's not just the faculty and staff and advisors, it's every single part of the university has to be more student-centric. So those are the five themes that I see as the future. Well, and I want to commend you, Chancellor. It would have been very easy to give a boilerplate political answer to that question, to hear the chancellor of a major university like the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, talking about more on and off ramps, flexibility, less brick and mortar, experiential learning, student centricity. To be honest, if I were to write a roadmap for the future of higher education, it would look exactly like that. And really, really impressive that, as we know, a mentally tough individual who has the guts to put it out there and talk about what the future should look like. I think you're on exactly the right track. And we're going to leave it at that. I want to thank the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Dr. Mark Money, the provost of that same institution, Dr. Johannes Britz, for spending time with us today on the Tech Ed Podcast. It has been a phenomenal discussion, and we really appreciate you being here. Great to see you, Matt. Thank you so much. See you, Johannes, later today. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.